The following Bible lesson and other Bible information can be found on the official Dean Bible Ministries website. That's found at www.deanbible.org. That's www.deanbible.org. Or write to Dean Bible Ministries Incorporated. That's at address 5868 Westheimer. W-E-S-T-H-E-I-M-E-R, number 461, Houston, Texas, 77057. Dr. Dean is the pastor of West Houston Bible Church. And now, here's Dr. Dean with the Bible lesson. Let's begin our Bible study this evening, but with a few moments of silent prayer. We'll just bow our heads together for a few moments of uh, silent prayer to make sure we're in fellowship. Filled with the Spirit, ready to study God's Word, and then I'll open in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your Word this evening. We thank you for the encouragement we receive from it, knowing that you have worked out history in such detail. You are in control of history, and despite the calamities, the crises, the chaos that often surrounds us, we know that you are in control and that you are working out your plan and purposes in history. And even as we watch the chaos in the Middle East and the problems of the war on terrorism, we know that you are in control. Father, we pray that you would help us to transfer that information to our private, to our individual lives, just as we are uh, live lives that are often... Uh, Surrounded by chaos in our personal lives, we know that you are still in control. Pray that you'd help us to understand the things we study this evening in Christ's name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24. And we will continue our study of this incredible prophecy in Daniel, where Daniel gives an outline of a 490-year period for Israel's history. Last time, as we began our study of Daniel 9, we noticed that there are six major interpretive problems that we have to address in this passage. Let's first of all just review the passage briefly. In verse 24, we read, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Verse 26, Then after the 62 weeks... The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, these four verses are crucial for understanding many things related to biblical prophecy and God's plan for Israel and the tribulation itself and the nature of the Antichrist. 
But in order to get into this, we have to address certain specific issues. First of all, we see, look at verse 24. When it begins with 70 weeks, we said last time that is the Hebrew Sheva'i Sheva'im, which means 70 periods of seven. We have to discern what that means. That's your first interpretive problem. The second interpretive problem is found at the beginning of verse 25. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree. Which decree is that? Can we identify that decree from human history? Third, the 70 weeks of Daniel 9, 24, and 25 is divided into three segments. There's a seven-week segment, a 62-week segment, and a one-week segment. What are these three periods of time? And we need to answer the question, are any of them yet future to 2002? Fourth, once we figure out what these weeks are, we need to then determine what calendar system it is that we're working with. We're working with a solar year calendar that has 365 and a quarter days in it, like the calendar that we use, or are we talking about a lunar calendar which operates on the, uh, the cycle of the moon and 30-day months, which ends up with a 360-day year? That is the major question, uh, interpretive question number four. Number five, we need to ask the question, when are these six purposes fulfilled? The six purposes listed in verse 24. And then the sixth major interpretive question comes in uh, verse 27, and that is, who is the prince to come? Excuse me, verse 26, who is the prince to come? So we have looked at these verses already. And what we have discovered is that the 70 weeks, that is the first interpretive problem, the 70 weeks actually refers to 70 periods of seven, and these are years. They're not weeks or not months, but according to the context of the first part of Daniel 9, 1 through 3, we see that the that Daniel is thinking in terms of years for Israel. Uh, last time when we answered this question, we saw that this is based ultimately in Second Chronicles 36:21, which made a point of condemning Israel because they had failed to uh, fail to apply the principle, the sabbatical year principle, for 70 years. So there were 70 sabbatical years that they failed to rest. Well, since a sabbatical year occurs once every seven years, you can take the 70 sabbatical years, multiply that times se- uh, seven and you come up with a period of 490 years. So there were, 400, there, was, there were 490 years when Israel did not obey the Sabbath, the sabbatical year law. So we have 490 years prior to Daniel's prophecy, and the, that prophecy is going to describe an additional 490 years that come after the restoration to the land and the rebuilding and restoration of the city. Now there have been a lot of attempts to try to identify these 490 years that are uh, that precede Daniel's prophecy, and it is unsure what these are. For example, if we take the date 586 B.C., which is the time in which uh, when the Babylonians uh, destroyed the temple and Israel went out under the fifth cycle of discipline. If we take that and add 490 years to that, we come up with a date of 1,076 B.C. But that's only if these are 365-day solar years. 
if they are lunar years, then you have to take some time off of that, and you end up with actually 476 solar years, or, or just a little more, which takes us to the date of approximately 1062 B.C. The problem that we have is that nothing that we know of occurred in 1062 B.C., unless that marks the beginning of Saul's decline and Saul's carnality. Saul lived from 1075 to 1011 B.C., but that puts 1062, if our dates are correct. Now, when we get this far back, we always have to recognize that we're basing this off of certain secular calculations on chronology, and they're not always right. And there's always certain assumptions that seep into secular chronology that are contradictory to the Word of God. So we, we, we can only go back so far. I think 750 B.C. is the last sure undisputed date in ancient chronological schemes that, that, we can, that everybody agrees on. When you get beyond 750 B.C., there's tremendous amount of uh, disagreement and discord among scholars as to how to date various events. But if we go back to 1062 B.C., that would be when Saul was approximately 13 years of age, so that doesn't seem to fit at all. So our conclusion is that the 490 years of Sabbath year violation that's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 36.21 may not be contiguous. That means it's not 490 years in consecutive order. Uh, One reason we could say that is these the last 490 years that Daniel talks about in his prophecy are clearly divided up into three segments. You've got a seven-year segment, a 72-year segment, and a, and a uh, one, or excuse me, a seven-week segment, a 62-week segment, and a one-week segment. So the uh, since that's not contiguous, all those 490 years don't flow together uh, consecutively. Uh, there's probably gaps in the 490 years uh, previous. We can expect that under David's rulership in the kingdom, when Israel was uh, positive, that there was a time of of sabbatical year observance. After the revival during the time of Hezekiah and again under King Josiah, there again would be a time of sabbatical year observance. So the 70 violated sabbatical years could easily be collective. That is, we go all the way back to 1406 B.C. when Israel first goes into the land. And from that point up to 586 B.C., there were 70 sabbatical years that were violated. They were not all in, in a row. So we can't come up with any firm date as to when that, that actually began. And it's not necessary to. Nothing, is, nothing hangs on that. Nothing's contingent on that. The next thing we did last time was that we investigated the six purposes that are outlined in Daniel 9.24. These 70 weeks, these 490 weeks have been decreed for your people, that is the Jews, and your holy city, that is Israel. The the issue here is God's plan and purpose for the nation Israel in human history. Now, these six purposes are listed there in Daniel 9.24. said that the first one to finish the transgression has to do with the definite article, that it is the transgression, that is Israel's sin of rejecting God as their ruler. Second, to make an end of sin, and I made the point last time that even though in your English version you have a singular word sin there, in uh, the Hebrew text it is a plural. That is a textual problem in the Hebrew text. The uh, What is written 
is uh, sins, plural, but what is written to be read in the margin, that's called the Kathif Kare reading, is the singular sin. But either way, it refers to the continuous sins, personal sins in the life of the nation, which are based upon the fact that they have ultimately rejected uh, God's rulership of the nation. Third, they make to make atonement for iniquity, and I stated that even though Christ paid the penalty and made atonement for iniquity at the cross, it isn't accepted and applied to Israel until the end of the tribulation. So these first three purposes, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, and to make atonement for iniquity, are not fulfilled at the first coming. They are fulfilled at the second coming. They are not fulfilled until the end of the 490-year period. So the we haven't seen them yet. Israel has not turned to God as their leader, as the ruler of the kingdom. They have not uh, ended personal sins. They have not made atonement for iniquity or accepted the atonement for their iniquity. That does not happen until the second coming. So none of the six events, six purposes, have been fulfilled. Purpose number four was to bring in everlasting righteousness, which is a phrase that relates to the uh, righteous rule of the Messiah during the millennial kingdom. Fifth is to seal up vision and prophecy, a term that relates to the completion of prophecy for Israel. That, too, does not occur until the end of the tribulation, the second coming. And then finally, to anoint the most holy place, which is a reference to uh, establishing the millennial temple. So these six purposes all relate to God's purpose for Israel, and they are not completed until the end of the 490-day period. Now, in verse 25, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, So you are to know and discern. That means that this information is clearly understandable. It is for us to know and discern. We are able to understand this prophecy. It is not guesswork. It is not something that is left to our imagination. It's not something that we are simply to uh, uh, guess at and say, oh, well, in some general sense this must have been fulfilled. We are, are, are to be able to actually understand all the details of this prophecy. And the remarkable thing about this prophecy is the detail in which it was fulfilled. The angel says we are to know and and discern that from a starting point, that is, an issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. This means that there will be 69 weeks, or 69 times 7, which is 483 years, between these two points of time. The issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, we have to understand some things about this uh, decree. It is a decree specifically for the restoration and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, there are four different decrees that could and have been suggested as historical decrees that are, are the fulfillment of this statement. So let's look at them. Put these up on the screen. The first is a decree from Cyrus the Great in 538 B.C. for the Jews to go back to the land. A decree in 538, actually it was in, uh, as you'll notice, there's some, as I'm going to point out in a minute, there are some various uh, problems in ancient chronology. This should be 535 B.C., not 538. 
Cyrus' decree in 535 B.C. for the Jews to go back to the land. That was so that Israel could return. And this decree is mentioned in 2 Chronicles 36, 22, and 23. It's mentioned in Ezra 1, 14. It's mentioned in Isaiah 44, 28, and again in Isaiah 45, 13. Let me go over those again. Second uh, Chronicles 36, 22, and 23, Ezra 1, 14, Isaiah 44, 28, and 45, 13. The question is, could the 490 years have begun with that decree? And if so, then we have a problem because 483 years later would be approximately 57 B.C., and no Messiah showed up uh, at that time. So if we add in, uh, even if we make it lunar or solar years, and we take three or four years off of that, no Messiah showed up around 60 B.C. or 50 or uh, 62 B.C. No Messiah showed up at that time at all. So obviously Cyrus' decree could not be the decree that Daniel 9:25 is talking about. The second decree that is that is mentioned as a possible candidate for this, is a decree made by Darius Hystaspes that is mentioned in Ezra chapter 6. But this is not a very serious contender because simply this was simply a confirmation or a restatement of the earlier decree made by uh, Cyrus in 538 B.C. It's a reconfirmation of that decree. Third, the first decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus given in 457 B.C. Now, this comes close because it's, it's very close to the actual decree and would at least put us into the period of time around 20 B.C., I mean 20 A.D., during the time of the life of Christ. This was a decree that was given to Ezra. It's described in Ezra chapter 7. And it was a decree that Ezra should go back to Jerusalem and reestablish a functioning priesthood. The temple has been rebuilt, and he is to reestablish a functioning priesthood. But that isn't what the decree of Daniel 25 is talking about. Daniel 9.25 is talking about going back to the city and rebuilding and restoring the city, a plaza and moat. That is crucial at the end of the verse. It describes the fact that it would be rebuilt, plaza and moat, and as we will see, that has to do with its completed structure and its military fortification. The fourth decree that is usually suggested as the decree that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 9 is the decree given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah in 444 B.C., and that is the decree that the only possible decree that can fit the parameters. It was given by Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. Now, this decree is found in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, you remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at this, at prayer, we went to Nehemiah's prayer as an example of prayer, very similar to Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9, when Nehemiah went to the Lord to pray for the restoration of the city. And if you look at the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1.3, what caused Nehemiah's prayer was that he had heard a report that the walls were down, the city had not, they had not finished rebuilding the city, and it was still in a state of ruin. And it caused him such despair that he went before the Lord in prayer and prayed for courage to go before Artaxerxes and to make a request that he be allowed to go back to 
Jerusalem and take a group of builders with him and reorganize the people and rebuild the city. That is covered in up through Deuteronomy, I mean, up through Nehemiah chapter 2, and Nehemiah actually did go back to uh, the land. He obtained a decree from Artaxerxes, and that's found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. And Nehemiah was given permission to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. So if we look at the, the scriptures, we know that, that from that starting point, and we'll look at the dates in a minute, from that starting point, there, that kicks off. That's the starting of the stopwatch on this decree in Daniel chapter 9. Now, furthermore, notice that this decree says that it is from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, the word for restore is the Hebrew word shuv, which in the cow stem means to turn or, or return and is frequently used for the return of the people to the land. But this is in the hiphil stem, and the hiphil is a causative stem, and when it's used in a conjunction, construction like this, where it is used to uh, to restore and to rebuild and to build with the verb bana, it indicates that the restoration was for is, is a reconstruction, and this is used in other passages. For example, in Psalm 80 verses 4 and 8, it talks about the restoration of the people, uh, sort of a rebuilding of the people spiritually. So it has a connotation here in Daniel 9:25, not simply of returning to the land but of completely uh, reconstructing Israel to its former, I mean Jerusalem, to its former state. So when we look at it that way, the decree that Artaxerxes gave to Nehemiah best fits the Daniel 9.25 information. Furthermore, the terminology plaza and moat indicates the plaza was the, the main square, the market square, the open market that, uh, where all the economic activity of the city would take place. So to restore the plaza means to restore the city to full economic functioning and to restore the walls, plaza and moat. Moat indicates the defensive uh, moat outside of the walls of the city and indicates that its military fortifications would be completely restored. So you can't have freedom, real freedom in a nation, without a military. And throughout Israel's history, they always maintained their freedom through a strong military. When they had a weak military, they lost their freedom and they were they were destroyed as a nation. So we see the principle there that freedom is always gained and maintained through military victory. Even when they left Egypt at the Exodus, there was military victory. It wasn't their military there, though. It was God empowering them. But there had to be a military defeat of the enemy, the Egyptians, before Israel could have their freedom. Now, I want you to notice here the emphasis on in this answer to prayer is on Jerusalem and on Israel. And this is exactly what Daniel had prayed for in Daniel 9.16, where we look back there and see that Daniel prayed, O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. And the emphasis there is on the temple mount. The holy mountain refers to Mount Zion which is originally Mount Moriah, where Abraham had gone to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God in obedience to God's command to do so. That is where God stayed his hand and substituted a ram 
for Isaac, but it was a test of Abraham's obedience to God, and that Abraham fulfilled that was not a sign that he was willing to murder his son, but according to Hebrews 11, he recognized that, that his son was the promised seed and that God would either not allow him to take Isaac's life or he would immediately bring him back from the dead. So uh, Abraham wasn't at all concerned because he trusted God so implicitly. Now, that holy mountain is identified today, and it is where the Al-Aqsa Mosque exists and where the Dome of the Rock exists and where there must be a future uh, temple. The third temple or the tribulation temple must be built on that site. And as I pointed out last time, there has to be some, something has to happen historically to Islam to remove them from the scene or at least to reduce their military power because something is going to take place that's going to destroy those those mosques on the Temple Mount to allow the rebuilding of the Third Temple. But the Temple is a key issue. That's why it's a key issue in the modern terrorist warfare. The key issue for the Palestinians is control of the Temple Mount. Satan does not want Israel to gain control of the Temple Mount because he knows that once they do so, God's prophetic plan is going to march on inexorably, and Satan will end up being defeated. So he is doing everything he can. He will throw everything he can at the Jews to try to keep them from having control of the Temple Mount. So because of our sins, Daniel goes on to pray in verse 16, For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. And then in verse 17 again he says, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications, and for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. Once again, it is the temple and the temple mount that is at the core of the importance of Jerusalem and the core of the history of Israel. We see the same elements emphasized over and over again. In fact, when Daniel is uh, interrupted. In verse 20, he makes the point that while I was speaking and praying, confessing the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. So we see here that, that the scriptures put a tremendous emphasis on the importance of the temple and the holy mountain. So we see from this, just by way of review, that in verse 24, the 70 weeks are determined. They are determined for Israel and for the city. They are determined that it, during this time, these six purposes will, will be fulfilled, not, and not until the end of the 490-year period. And then in verse 25 we read, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. And that is that decree of Artaxerxes that was given in 444 B.C. Now let's look at a chart and begin to put these elements together. Okay, the decree to restore is given on March the 5th, 444 B.C. We know that from not only biblical information, but from extra-biblical sources. We can date that precisely to March the 5th. I've converted the information over into our calendar. March the 5th, 444 B.C. was when Artaxerxes gave his decree, listed in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, the Scripture says that this first period is comprised of a seven-week period and a 62-week period, and combined that's 69 weeks. This is for 
the nation Israel. Now let's understand the break. This this isn't just some arbitrary break. Gabriel isn't just talking this way uh, figuratively. He's not going to say just 7 plus 62 because uh, that fits some kind of a mystical number code. There's something that happens. So let's look at it in detail. If these are years, then that first seven-week period is a week period of 49 years. We get that by taking the seven Seven weeks times seven days in a week, or seven times seven, equals 49 years. So the first 49-year period would extend uh, for 17,640 days. Now, we get that by multiplying 49 years times 360 days. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute why the biblical year is a 360-day lunar year and not a 365-day solar year, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's just accept it as fact for now. If you take 49 years and multiply that by 360 days, then you come up with a figure of 17,640 days are 40, just over 48 years, 48.3 years. You take that, take 444 B.C., and remember, because we're in B.C. time, we subtract instead of add years. Take 444 B.C. and subtract 48 years, then what you end up with is approximately 395 B.C. Now, we don't know exactly what took place and when the exact date was that this ended in 395 B.C. because of a lack of both biblical and historical information. But it was approximately at this time that the the struggle to complete Jerusalem was finished. The decree went out in 444 B.C., and the book of Nehemiah is a description of all of the hostility. See, there were, just as there are people in the land today who want to make a claim, who hate the Jews, and today we call them Palestinians, there were a group of people who lived in Israel that the Assyrians had uh, had uh, placed there, had uh, uh, <clears throat> exported from other areas where they come, deported these people, put them into that area. There were people, Gentiles, who had come and settled in Judea during the time of the Babylonian captivity, and these Gentiles hated the Jews and did not want the Jews to rebuild the city or rebuild the temple. Same kind of scenario we have today. But Nehemiah went back. They rebuilt the city, plaza, and moat. They rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah is the story of their rebuilding of the walls. But it was during that period of approximately uh, 49 years that they continued to face hostility from these people in the land. So it was a time of difficulty. For example, we read at the end of uh, verse 25 that uh, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall. Actually, that's the King James translation. The street has to do with the plaza and the moat. That has to do with the, the external defenses. Even in times of distress... So it was during the time uh, time of distress, and this is the time of opposition and struggle during that first period of 49 years. Now, after that, that's the time of rebuilding the, the city of Jerusalem and getting everything uh, functioning again, getting their econo- economy back in order, and getting the military rebuilt and their military defensive rebuilt. Then there's a 62-week period. Now, this is when... 
This is the period between the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the time that they they come back into uh, or the time that the Messiah comes. Now, if we look at history, it's very clear that Artaxerxes gave this decree to return to the land in 44 B.C. That it had to that the Messiah did not come after that first seven-year period. That would have been, as I said, that would have been about. Uh, 390 B.C., and, of course, nothing happened at that time. No Messiah came. So it must be that the Messiah doesn't come until after the 62 weeks, which is exactly what verse 26 states. Now, there's another interpretational problem that we have to deal with, and this is going to probably... You know, twist your brains a little bit and burn a few brain cells trying to figure this out. One of the things that we learn from Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 is that the Bible addresses every area of human thought, including mathematics. And, uh, you may not have had very good skills in arithmetic or geometry or algebra when you were in high school, but nevertheless, the Bible says that we're to take every thought captive for Christ. And the way most people take that verse is every thought just means that, well, I'm not going to have dirty thoughts or immoral thoughts, and they think of it in very superficial terms. But that verse means every category of human intellection. And that means that whether it's talking about literature, fiction, nonfiction, whether it's talking about economic theory, whether it's talking about military strategy theory, whether we're talking about uh, physics, biology, chemistry, every area of human intellection needs to be brought under the control of Scripture, and we need to think as God would have us to think. And that includes even arithmetic. So there are uh, problems in arithmetic that are there because man is operating independently of God, and there are solutions that have been found historically by mathematicians because they understand that God is in control of everything, and there are absolutes even in the realm of mathematics. Now, here we have an interpretational problem. We have to answer the question, how long was a year in the ancient calendar? Was it a 365-day year as today, so that when we look at this and add 490 years to 444 B.C., we end up with a date that is... um, or if we add 483 years to 444 B.C., we end up with a date of 37 A.D., which, according to most calculations, is after the death of Christ. And that doesn't seem to fit. So maybe it's not a 365-day year. Now, there were a lot of problems in understanding this uh, up until the end of the late 19th century. Then a man who had been the director of Scotland Yard, uh, an Englishman by the name of Sir Robert Anderson, who was a tremendous student of the book of Daniel, also did uh, a lot of work on this particular passage, and he wrote a classic work called The Coming Prince. The Coming Prince. And in that, he outlines a fantastic uh, understanding of Daniel's 70 weeks. He missed a couple of points simply because the calendar that they were working with was based on chronology as understood by secular historians at that time and had a couple of glitches in it, but he basically hit on the the correct solution. Anderson is also noted at that time for writing a book called The Silence of God, which is a classic refutation of the position that God continues to speak 
after the closing of the canon. In the silence of God, he makes a case, and he clearly documents the case that God is no longer speaking directly to mankind after the end of the apostolic age. Of course, no matter how well something is written, no matter how uh, excellent the argument, the best way to deal with something you can't answer is to ignore it, and that's what's happened with most Charismatics and Pentecostals, if they've just ignored this particular book. But it is kept in print, and is still available here and there, and it's an excellent argument, an excellent demonstration of why God is no longer speaking directly to mankind today. But that is beside our point, so we need to look at the question of why do we say this is a 360-day year. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Look in the Old Testament. Go ahead and put the camera up on the screen. In Genesis chapter 7, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, we read, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day all the fountains of the deep burst open. We don't need to go any further than that. Now, this isn't the second month of the year. Don't think in terms of February. But just think in terms, this is in in the 600th year of Noah's life. So this is benchmarked on Noah's birthday. So we look, just look at this as the second month, the 17th day. That is 2-17. That's when the flood began was on 2-17. Then we go over to Genesis chapter 8, verse 3, and we read, The water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Then in verse 4 we read that this is on the 7th month, the 17th day. So we've gone from 2-17 to 7-17. 7th month, 17th day. Well, 2-17 from 7-17, according to eight, verse 3, is 150 days. So that's 5 months. 5 months into 150 days goes 30 times. So that leads, I mean, into 150 days... Five months, that means you've got to have 30-day months. You can't have any 31-day months in there. So obviously, the Bible is operating on a 30-day month or a lunar month. Lunar months are built on the time that, based on the moon's revolution around the earth, not the sun, not the earth's revolution around the sun. Solar year is based on the earth's revolution around the sun, and that is uh, 365 days. So the Bible uses a different time scale, as many of the ancient calendars did. Uh, even uh, Islam operates today on a lunar calendar and not on a solar calendar. So in Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see that the Bible uses a 360-day year. And then in Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3, we read the following. This has to do with the period of the tribulation. And there we read, leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. So for 42 months, Jerusalem is going to be militarily oppressed by Gentiles in the tribulation. Then in verse 3, we read, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So this refers to the same period, 42 months. 1,260 days. Well, if you divide 1,260 days by 42, you come up with 30 days. So that means that those months are 30-day months. Now, let's look at the uh, rationale for this on this chart. 
Daniel 9.27 describes this as a half a week. Halfway through the 70th week, the Antichrist is going to uh, commit the abomination of desolation. So there we have the term or the time period, a half a week or three and a half days. A week has seven days. Divide that into three and a half days. This is compared to another time frame that's given in Scripture, time, times, and a half a time. This is found in verses like Daniel 7:25, where it says that the Antichrist will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and there will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. The same phrase is also used in Daniel 12, verse 7, and in Revelation chapter 12, 14, that the uh, the woman that is Israel will go into the wilderness and be nourished and protected for a time, times, and a half a time. A third way of describing this same time period is found in Revelation 12, verse 6, and as we saw a minute ago in Revelation 11, 3. Revelation 12, 6 says that the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. So that uh, that notation of 1,260 days in Revelation 12.6 is in the same passage as time, times, and a half a time in Revelation 12.14. Fourth, the term 42 months, the time frame of 42 months is given in Revelation 11.2. And in Revelation 13:5, there we read that there was given to him, that is the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, an authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Well, if we do a little math and divide 1,260 days by 42 days, we end up with 30 days, so that 42 months equals 1,260 days. And that 1,260 days, if you divide that by 360 days, that comes out to three and a half years. And that is equivalent to the term time, that's one year, times, that's a dual, that's two years, so one plus two equals three, and a half a time, that's three and a half days, plus a half a week, that comes out to the full seven years of the tribulation. Therefore, we end up with the conclusion that a month equals 30 days, and a year equals 360 days. So that's how we arrive at our understanding that these years in Scripture are 360-day years. Now let's take that conclusion and go back and look at what we find in Daniel chapter 70 to figure out how many days there are between the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild and the cutting off of Messiah. We'll take 69, multiply it times 7, and then multiply that again by 360 days, you come up with the figure 173,880 days. Now, from March 5th, 444 B.C. is our starting point, remember. That's when Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the decree to go to Jerusalem and restore and rebuild it. If you add 173,880 days to March 5th, you come up with March 30th, A.D. 33. Let's verify this. How do we know that this is true? Well, just take do a simple math calculation. Take 444 B.C. and add to it 33. That comes up with 477. But you have to subtract a year because there's no year zero in the calendar. 
So that gives you 476 years. Take those 476 years, multiply it by our calendar, uh, our solar calendar of 365 and a quarter days, 365.2421989, and you come up with 173,855 days. But then you have to make a distinction between March 5th and March 30th, which is 25 days, add 25 days to 173,855, and you come up with 173,880 days. So what, according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, there are going to be 173,880 days between the decree to return and uh, the cutting off of Messiah. Once more, let's put this into another chart. The decree to restore was on March the 5th, 444 B.C., Nehemiah 2, 1 through 3. You have 69 weeks until Messiah the Prince comes and is cut off. On March the 30th, A.D. 33, we know that that is when Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem in the triumphal entry when the people were singing Hosanna, all praise to the Lord from Psalm uh, 110 and welcoming him as Messiah. That occurred, depending on how you work things out on the calendar, on either Sunday or Monday. But for traditional sake, for right now, we'll just argue that it was uh, on on Sunday. Then it was that next Wednesday that he was crucified. So it, notice what the text says in Daniel uh, chapter 9, verse 26, after the 62 weeks. So he's not cut off until after the 173,880 days are complete. So here's what we have for a conclusion. 70 times 7 equals 490 years. If you multiply 69 Times seven, you come up with 483 years, which equals 173,880 days. The question now is, what happened to the other seven years? Now, I want you to notice something important. There is a clear break in the text. There is a clear break in the text. In verse 26, it says, after the 62 weeks... Messiah the Prince shall be cut off. So the 69 weeks are complete. And then certain events are going to take place after that, but before the 70th week takes place. So there's a clear break in the text between the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. So certain events are going to take place. The stopwatch stops at the end of the 69th week, and it's not going to start again until some other event. And that's going to be clarified down in verse 27 when it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week. And the he there, as we will see, refers to the Antichrist. And when he makes this covenant with Israel, that starts the stopwatch again. That's why we know that the tribulation doesn't begin when the rapture occurs. It begins at some time after the rapture when the Antichrist makes that peace treaty with Israel. So what takes place between the end of the 69 weeks and the beginning of the 70th week? The Messiah, the prince, is cut off. 
Then we have the destruction of this temple, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and we have the what's called an intercalation, and that is the entire church age period, which is now extended to almost uh, 1,900 years. And it will not be until after the rapture that the coming prince comes, and then we have the tribulation period. Now, what this tells us as we look at this breakdown of Daniel's 70th week is that the 70th week has not taken place yet. And remember, just as we have so clearly seen, every detail in the first 69 weeks has been fulfilled literally. The time frame, the chronology has been literal, it's been precise, it's been exact. Now, if we're going to begin with a precise, literal interpretation of these weeks, then the last week must also be literal. The problem is in amillennialism, in postmillennialism, and in what's happening now in the preterist camp, is that this 70th week is being allegorized or spiritualized. It's not an exact, precise uh, time period, just a very general, allegorical, uh, symbolic time period. And, of course, that violates the whole principle of hermeneutics, of a literal interpretation and a consistent literal interpretation. As I said a couple of weeks ago, you have to stick with the old Texas principle. you got to dance with the one who brung you. That means if you start off with a literal interpretation, you have to continue with that interpretation all the way through the Scriptures. And so in order to be consistent, we have to take this last seven uh, this last week, Daniel's 70th week, as a literal seven-year period for Israel, for my people Israel, for the church, for uh, not for the church, but for Israel, for Jerusalem, and for the fulfillment of these 490 years to bring to completion the six things mentioned back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So next time in our Bible class, we will look at what the Bible says about a future for Israel. There is definitely a future for Israel. God has a plan for Israel that has not yet been fulfilled. That plan includes two international restorations. Uh, one restoration will be a nation as a nation that is unsaved and unregenerate. And then the second will be as a nation that is uh, regenerate. They will be recovered from the corners of the earth. So we will look at that and a history of the modern state of Israel and how that has come about when we get together at next week with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word this evening. Pray that we may be challenged and encouraged by the uh, precision of your plan and the precision of prophecy, that this could not have happened simply as guesswork, that, that it's not like any kind of prophecy that we're familiar with or the claims to prophecy that are made today but that this is a prophecy that is, uh, comes and can only have come from a God who precisely controls human history. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.